Yes, I hear it. <laughs> and I have never read Harry Potter before, and I read all seven in one summer. Wow. I crushed it. So that's one summer reading. And I, did, I was not the only one, I noticed, some of my other classmates in there. What are books? Eddie? I don't know. <laughs> Did you? No. <laughs> we were together, though. My second memory of the summer reading is from a more recent summer. In the summer of 2020, everyone at Orange County Habitat for Humanity, which is where Eddie works, my husband, everyone was invited to join a summer book club. And the invitation went out to all the Habitat staff and people on the board and their families. And it was a, they cast a wide net, lots of people invited to, to the book club. It was reading one book, and there was going to be one meeting. So Eddie and I decided, yeah, we'll do this. We can read one book and talk about it, hopefully, on Zoom. So the book is called Unsheltered. We both order it. We're reading it. And it comes to right before the, the Zoom meeting, where we're all going to be discussing this book together. And I hadn't finished it yet. Eddie hadn't finished it yet. So the night before, I'm up late. I'm finishing this book. I'm reading as fast as I can. The day of, Eddie has downloaded it on Audible and is listening to it on two times speed at work, <laughs> hoping to, to hear the rest of the book so that we can show up and participate. And what ends up happening, we we come together, we're like, all right, we, we're, we're just going to show up because that's half of it is just showing up to the book club. And we're not going to say much, we just finished. And We'll, we'll just be there in, in support, right? So we log on to Zoom and open the laptop, and it's me and Eddie and Matt Bridges, who's the guy setting it up. Just go. Just go. Okay. You can unplug it. Me and Eddie, Matt Bridges, who's in charge, and one other person who was on the board of Habitat, who Eddie and I did not know. So we quickly realized we're going from quiet or no participation in the Zoom call to active participation <laughs> in the Zoom call. And we ended up, I think it was a good conversation. We both had a lot to say about the book that we had just finished, barely, in the nick of time. And I guess these are two different. One summer I read a lot of books. One summer I barely read one book. And both were important and both I'm grateful for. And all that to say, this summer, we've been doing our summer reading of the book of Hebrews together. And I love that we are taking a slow pace as we're looking through it so that we can really soak it in. We're not missing big chunks of the book. I ran into Joel this week. We were talking about Hebrews. And he described it to me as theologically rich and practically sound. I thought, that's cool and also true. So a little recap about what we know so far about Hebrews and from the book of Hebrews. We do not know who wrote the book, but we are using our best guesses to know that they were most likely a preacher and that the book is less of a book to read and more of a sermon to be heard. 
and we call the, the author of Hebrews the, the teacher. We know that Hebrews continuously points us to who Jesus is and where Jesus came from and the kind of life Jesus lived. And we know that Jesus has all authority, even over the angels. We know that Jesus was made fully human over all things. And we know that he is part of a bigger picture of restoration from the garden to Israel and throughout history. That brings us to our next section today, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, that we'll read together. So, chapter 10, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helped, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So that's the scripture. And even as, as we read it, it sounds like a sermon. Theologically rich, for sure. So let's take a closer look at it because there's a lot to it. We're reminded in verse 10 that God is above all things. God made the universe and everything in it exists because God made it. We also see in verse 10 that Jesus, the pioneer of our salvation, is perfect, making his death on the cross possible to erase our sins. This language here sounds a lot like a sermon because some of the words are hard to understand without some context or definition. Fortunately, last week our pastor Dustin gave us a great definition of salvation. He defined it as being free to live in relationship with God. And that is good to know. In verses 11 and 12, we learn that we are a family with Jesus. And I think that changes everything. And in the last section, verses 14 through 18, we see how Jesus, becoming human and living a human life, allows us to connect to him. And he is able to connect with us. He knows our experiences, and he lived a life of temptation and suffering, and he knows what that looks like and feels like for us. 
When I read these verses, I'm thankful to our preacher for reminding us of some foundational pieces of what life with Jesus is about. The first is knowing that God is big, bigger than the whole universe. The second is that Jesus' death on the cross allows us to experience salvation, freedom to live in relationship with God. And the third that I love is that we can see from the first verses here through to the end that God allows us to be close and brings us close and doesn't stay distant. We know that Jesus isn't distant and out of reach and he doesn't stay separated from us, but he's as close as our family. As I was preparing for today, the two verses that have stuck with me the most are verses 11 and 12. So I want us to look at those together. A refresher. They say, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. The one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are in the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. When some of us think of family, we think of belonging, we think of history, we think of legacy, love, connection. We have positive associations with the word. When some of us think of family, we might think differently. Depending on what kind of family we grew up in or married into, we may have more negative connotations with the word. I'm sure that there are some of us who have cut ties with toxic family members or who feel out of place in their families or feel like they can't contribute to their family. It can be a complicated dynamic. So whatever your picture of family is, I think these verses, 11 and 12, are encouraging us to open our eyes to what family is like with Jesus. Jesus, who is described here as the pioneer of salvation, who we know is higher than the angels, who chose to come to earth to be near us, this Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. Jesus, who doesn't put up walls between us and him, but instead opens his arms to us. Jesus, who is one with God and the Spirit, this Jesus calls us family. So what happens when we're able to picture ourselves in this family with Jesus? Some words that come to mind to me are acceptance, unconditional love, fully known, healing, restoration, when we accept this relationship to Jesus, this family relationship, I think we're able to enter into our day-to-day -day with confidence. We're secure in being in Jesus' family. We're able to face adversity and difficulty with confidence. When we see ourselves as part of this family, 
we're entering into the world with a sense of belonging to something greater than ourselves and belonging to the force of unconditional love for us. One thing I think about with family is having a confidence in knowing our family narrative and how we belong in it. That knowing our family history and feeling connected to it can help us feel grounded where we are. So how does that work being in Jesus' family? We've been part of the family since the very beginning, at very beginning capitalized. Because at the very beginning in Genesis in the garden, we were created to be in a relationship with God. And we know from the book of Hebrews and the rest of scripture that God is constantly bringing us into relationship with him. We also know that from the beginning, temptation has been part of our family narrative. And this temptation isn't, I want the cookie but I shouldn't have it kind of temptation. It's a temptation of power and wanting this power to be like God. And throughout history, from the Garden of Eden to the Israelites in the desert, to Jesus in the wilderness, temptation has existed. Satan tempts us in an attempt to isolate or remove us, to question who we are and where we belong. These final verses in the section of, of chapter 2 show us that even Jesus dealt with temptation. Even Jesus knew how it felt. Temptation is part of the family narrative, and Jesus comes out on the other side, victorious over the temptation. And he brings us with him as part of his family. Another way we can consider the family narrative of Jesus' family is if we take a closer look at verse 12 here, it says, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. Jesus is the one being quoted here. If you're looking at God, you'll see the quotes. And it says, he says that he is Jesus. But if you have a little hyperlink, if you look online, or if you have a note in your paper Bible, this scripture, this quote, is linked to Psalm 22. So why would Jesus be given credit for saying something from Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is what Jesus quoted when he was on the cross. That's big. This is a moment where Jesus is using language that everyone around him would recognize. Ancient scripture that had been read and recited and remembered across generations. Talk about family narrative. The hearers of this, both at the cross and then also hearing this sermon, are recalling the rest of the psalm as it's being quoted. It's a long one, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can read it. It's good. They're remembering the rest of the psalm that's all about rescue. Even just this one line being quoted here is recalling the rest of what the psalm is about. Sort of like, I don't know if you learned patriotic songs in kindergarten, but if you did, 
and you hear something like amber waves of grain, you're thinking Purple Mountain's Odyssey comes next, and you're thinking of the song America the Beautiful. This quote from Jesus from Psalm 22 here in Hebrews is connecting us, the readers now, or hearers if they were there, to Jesus, to Psalm 22, and to God's people from generations ago who were reciting and praying Psalm 22. And I love thinking of that family history. You can also think about this piece with Psalm 22 if you think about family stories. You might have a word or a phrase in your family that's said regularly in your home that's not said regularly in anybody else's home. An example from my family is from a few summers ago, I was at the farmer's market in Scarborough with my mom and my dad and my nana. If you're ever looking for something to do on a Saturday around 9.30, we are there. <laughs> and it's a blast. <laughs> and we're standing around this big tree and we're eating our treats that we got from the market. And a few Priuses drive by and my dad says, you know, in Carborough, you look around and it's just Prius, Prius, Prius. And then my Nana, who if you haven't met, she's from the Northeast, she's the best, I love her. She says, yes, then you get into Chapel Hill and all you see is Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. <laughs> my dad and I exchange a glance and laugh because she's saying Tesla, not Tesla. <laughs> but she doesn't hear the difference. <laughs> so now we often refer to a Tesla if we see one driving by as a Tesla. We don't have to explain the whole story to know what we're thinking of. This is similar to Psalm 22, although this story is fun and funny. Um, Psalm 22 is less of a family joke and more of a family connection. But with Jesus saying that verse, we're recalling this greater story and we're connecting to this bigger picture with Jesus. So every time I have a chance to preach, I love to read the scripture and to study and to talk to smart people about it and see what I can learn. But I also like to think about how we can apply what we've read into our lives. Reading and hearing and thinking about being in family with Jesus rocks. But it has to mean something for us outside of just sitting together this morning. So with this section of Hebrews, I think we can apply it in, in two steps. The first is that it starts with believing that we are part of Jesus' family. It's important. We have to accept that Jesus loves us and calls us his. Next, we have to think about how we fit into the family beyond just ourselves. How we relate to others in the family. I'm in a stage of life right now where a lot of people around me are having babies and it is wild and it is so cool and fun. I just got to hold a six pound baby this week who lives in my neighborhood. What a ride. <laughs> and it's had me thinking a lot about the phrase, it takes a village. And I know that that phrase is often used when a baby is born and people are tired and it takes a village to feed everyone who's tired. But I also know that that phrase means more than just when a baby is born. I know when my grandfather was 
declining, and after he passed, my family was surrounded by a village. And I think in the context of Hebrews 2, we could say the phrase, it takes a village, and really mean it takes a family. We all have a part to play in Jesus' family. And there are all kinds of ways to show up for babies, for those who are grieving, and everything in between. I'm not afraid of you. But that one can leave me alone. <laughs> we don't just stay with ourselves, but we branch out to participate with the family. And you might be wondering, what does this look like for you? How can we be part of this big family with all these other people? How can we contribute? How do we belong? And when I think about that, I'm reminded of some verses in Romans chapter 12. You can write it down if you want to look at it later. But I'll read it to you, starting with verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. These verses are telling us that we are all part of a body. We are all part of the family. And we are all unique parts of the family. We all contribute in different ways. For some of us, that does mean making a meal when a baby is born and sharing it with the family. For some of us, it means we go to the hospital and sit in the waiting room when someone is there. For some of us, it means we wake up early on Sundays and set up church. For some of us, it means we send a thoughtful text when someone is on our mind. And for some of us, maybe we're not so sure where we live in yet. And if that's you, I suggest that you keep showing up here and seeing ways that you can get connected at church. Not only to serve, but to know other people who are in your family. You might find ways that you love engaging with the family. Maybe Wednesday mornings at 8 is a great time for you, and you start joining our prayer Zoom call and praying for people in our family. Maybe you get a lot of energy from packing up chairs after church and seeing how many you can carry at once. That can be a way to contribute. And wherever you find yourself in this family, know that you bring a unique gift and that your gift is important. And if you still aren't sure where to begin, it might just start with what we're about to do next, coming to the table as we enter into a time of communion and taking a moment to reflect on how much Jesus loves you and how he calls you his own family. There is room for you at the table 
to engage with Jesus and with the family. Over to Justin. Friends, this table, this table is God's table. This table extends throughout history. It extends to the disciples sitting with Jesus and him inviting them to take the bread and the cup, to see it in a different light that night, that it would be an act of remembrance it would be an act of his presence always, always with them. That it would be his body and his blood that was broken and poured out for their forgiveness, for salvation. And that table extends from that time to here and now. And all of the saints that have gone before us that gathered around God's table to today where it's you and I, and this invitation again today, in the here and now, to be a part of what God is doing in our community. But before we even get there, what God wants to do in our lives. The invitation to be a part of this family that simply requires our yes. That we say yes, I'm ready to be a part of what you are doing, God. To be a follower of your son, Jesus, who showed us the very example of life. But in order to get to life, you first had to die. And so we come to the table today remembering his body broken and his blood poured out for us. And as we take, as we receive what he has done for us, the beauty of this table is it extends on into the future. That we get to invite other people to join us around this table. And we celebrate the act of Jesus in our lives and in the lives of each and every person who joins us at this table. So friends, Today you are invited to this table. Joel and Chris are going to come up to serve today. You'll tear off a piece of the bread and dip it into the cup. His body broken, his blood shed for you. You can take it as you go back to your seat. If you want to take a walk through this beautiful arboretum and just reflect on the beauty of creation and what God has done for you and for us, I encourage you to do that as well. Friends, let's pray together. God, we just celebrate the word that you have spoken to us today through your servant, Val. We celebrate the good news 
that you invite us into community, into belonging, that our identity is found in you, our creator, our maker who had a plan for beautiful relationship from the very beginning for each and every one of us. So as we come to your table today, may these gifts be for us, your body and blood, that we taste and see your goodness, and that you are calling us into deeper places and empowering us to make the invitation for others to this table. In your holy and mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Friends, we invite you to come to the table. If you need a gluten-free option, that is here as well. to the table today friends if there is a specific way that we can be praying for you or if you have questions about what it means to follow jesus i'm going to be just over here on the other side of the speakers and invite you to meet with me there